Catastrophe is your favorite book about World War One? For the uh, actual uh, nailing down the history of World War One, yeah, catastrophe, and it's about the early part of World War One, which is overlooked. A lot of people really get into the whole trench warfare thing because it went on for of the four year war from August nineteen fourteen to November nineteen eighteen. Most of it was the trench warfare that movies have been made about and lots of books have been written about. But the opening chapter of World War One was um, was people charging across fields in old kind of old style uh, warfare. And it was the bloodiest thing that has ever happened in the history of mankind. The French lost way more people in one day than they ever have in any other circumstance, including uh, D-Day. Wow. Um, uh, the opening chapter of World War One is ugly. But any ca- catastrophe by Max Hastings is great. But if you want the um, more um, poetic view, I guess literally would be true, War and Modern Memory, which is considered one of the classics of all time, is just a great book about it individuals talking about what it was like to fight in the war. Just incredible. Would you agree that uh, one of the reasons World War One is not nearly discussed as often, I mean, obviously, the, the sequel was bigger, and, um, That's and the main it was reason. a long... What's that? That's the main reason. Yeah. And it was a long damn time ago. But I think the other reason is that there is so... The narrative is so confused. And so not compelling. That's why it's more I mean, interesting. The Nazis me. try to sweep across Europe and subjugate humanity with help from the Imperial Japanese and the Italians who were too dopey to get out of the way. Um, World War One, it take it 10 minutes. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's why to me it's more interesting and more likely to be repeated. It was just nations and their interests butting up against each other to the point that a war explodes. And their alliances, their obligations. In the, in the same way that uh, our interest versus China's, for instance, or or whoever else in the world could could blow up again. Mm-hmm. And at the time that World War One started, nobody thought, in the modern world, you'll never have giant countries going to war with each other ever again. Those right. days are past. Certainly not sending men by the thousands to get mowed down over some stupid field. Now, I hope it never happens again, but it would be... Well, it'd be foolish to to think that. Human nature would tell you the opposite. As long as we're recommending books, if you have any interest in, um, well, in a hundred different things, uh, read the collection of, my favorite collection of H.L. Mencken's uh, columns, The Impossible H.L. Mencken, uh, which includes, it's it's exhaustive, It's it covers many decades of his writing, but it includes the debate in the 19-teens about whether to get involved in World War One and on what side. Because the Germans were not Nazis sweeping across Europe attempting to kill all the Jews and subjugate humanity. It wasn't like that at all. And there was a huge debate in the U.S. whether we go with uh, Britain or Germany or nobody. And, and, you know, Britain and their allies, Germany and their allies or nobody. Really interesting. And it was not, you know, history is always presented as inevitable, that what happened had to happen. Clearly, that happened because of this and this and this and this. A lot of things were like 51-49 votes that made history go one direction or another. Here's one other interesting thing. I don't remember the name of the book. I could look it up, but... Moby Dick. Uh, it's probably Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Um, since Sunday, and this is the reason we brought this up, Sunday is November 11th, but it's November 11th, 1918, 100 years after the end of World War One, which ended on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918. But there's a book out about all the people that died in the final days, including hours, including the final minutes, in some cases after the war had ended, 
by people that wanted to, you know, make a claim for another star on their chest. Right. Who ran men into a battle for no reason. Everybody knew it was over. It had been decided. We've picked the day. It's over. It's been decided who the victor is. We've yeah. split up the spoils. But there are people that wanted to get another hill or whatever. They weren't going to die, but the men they send in might. In case you're not paying close attention to state the obvious, yeah, it wasn't a coincidence that it died, that it ended at 11-11, you know, on 11-11. That was decided in advance. They said, all right, we'll blow the whistle. Nothing else happens after this date. Everybody agree? Okay. And I don't remember how far in advance that was. You probably do, but... um, so yeah, there was absolutely no reason to fight anymore. None. But, but there were a number. There were a number of battles fought, and and a, a chunk of people that died. That's it, which is just disgusting. Yes, which shows you kind of the nature of warfare and why. Well, war is hell. And war one is of the ugly. reasons that uh, you know I, Joe Getty, am constantly preaching to the the idea that the real the real fight in our time is not R versus D. They've duped you into that. It's the powerful versus the common people. And somebody suggested, of course, The Guns of August, which is the all-time classic by Barbara Tuckman about the beginning of World War I. And after that, probably listen to August and Everything After by Counting Crows, sure, which is a great album. And then September Morn by Neil Diamond, I would listen to that. Mm. It seems to be just in chronological mm. order. Right, right. Yeah. Is there a good October reference? Good October song. Or even an album. Nope. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, you too. October. Oh, Isn't that go. one of the U2's first uh, earliest albums? Sure. There you go. You listen yeah, to that. Please. I don't think there's anything November related. I'm a little related. tired of this. There's myself. nothing November related. Oh, don't, 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 don't. This is an opening for you. You're a songwriter. Write I'm, a song about November. It's a forgotten month. Well, it's still warm on some days, but then it gets cold at night, and Thanksgiving is coming real soon. You ever notice how turkey makes you sleepy? <laughs> Some say it's the trip to fan. Some disagree. Could be the three slices of pie. <laughs> I won't go with the obvious answer of uh, the Thanksgiving song by Adam Sandler. Right. And I'll, I'll suggest November Rain by Guns N' Roses. Oh, obviously. Winner, Good winner, choice. Chicken dinner. There you go. Turkey dinner. Well, boy, this has been fun, hasn't it? But why don't we take a moment to take a fond look back at the week that was. It's Cow Clips of the Week. <laughs> You may be surprised to hear he's a congressional candidate from Texas and not a hitman in a porno movie. You know how those red states stay so red? By sending all their liberal kids to coastal cities to study improv. Vardy, American, Asiago. I shouldn't say this because I want to unite. I do eventually want to unite. But the fact is we're driving them crazy. We're driving them crazy. They don't know what to do. They're going loco, loco. Buffalo, uh, smoked Swiss, cream cheese, string cheese, uh, cottage cheese. Don't worry. I'm smart also, and we're smart. Um, Brie, feta, goat, Munster, Colby Jack, Colby, Pepper Jack. <laughs> I'm so f-ing proud of you guys. That can only mean one thing. Our country is still divided as f- CNN should be ashamed of itself having you working for them. You are a rude, terrible person. You shouldn't treat people that way. Go ahead. Of course, my current favorite band to listen to is the Decemberists, so that takes care of that. We're, we're, we're there again. <laughs> 
Uh, quick listener note, as we are constantly updating and improving the Armstrong and Getty website. We are. Uh, we are now <laughs> putting these cows out to pasture. If you want to find an archive starting now of the all the cows that we have here on the Armstrong and Getty show. Clips you, of the week. You can find those cows put out to pasture on the Armstrong and Getty website. Awesome. Armstrongandgetty.com. Elevating you. even further, Sean, the importance of that duty. You must accurately compile the week for people. They are counting on you. I will continue to put forth the exact same amount of effort that I always have. 100%. <laughs> a texter reminds us, we talked about this last week, the World War One documentary Peter Jackson is putting out, in which he converted old footage of soldiers into high-def color. All right. And it looks just friggin' fantastic. That's got to be coming out soon, right, on the anniversary of the end of World War One. Yes. I would think that would... Certainly. Shouldn't that be out this weekend? Maybe it is. I don't know. I'll look it up. Also, somebody reminded us, you had a Thanksgiving carol that you used to sing every year. That's correct. What happened to your Thanksgiving carol? You haven't uh, sung it in years. Embarrassment finally got the better of me. Hmm. Plus, California Teachers Union opposes paying teachers more. We'll tell you why. And some of the people after for Nancy Pelosi, after Nancy Pelosi's job have made their first move. Oh, Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. down the details on Peter Jackson's new film project. He's the guy who made the Hobbit movies and all that stuff. I'll tell you about that in a minute. If you're a World War One fan, it looks great. Well, and if if you're not, I think you watch that and you'll probably be you'll probably find it very compelling. You know how we got the details? Sean Googled it. You, my secrets. Why why are you revealing the magic? <laughs> you probably could do that too. So, if you follow the news, you know that Jeff Sessions was canned earlier in the week and replaced by uh, his own chief of staff. Just like Hitler would do. Oh, for goodness sakes. Now, of course, everything Donald J. Trump does is controversial, but uh, this appointment does have a couple of ins and outs to it. And Rosalind Helderman joins us. Rosalind is uh, a reporter for The Washington Post, focuses on, uh, well, all sorts of different stuff, stuff, including politics, uh, joins us now. Hi, Rosalind. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks. Um, so uh, tell us a bit about the fellow who replaced uh, Jeff Sessions, at least temporarily, and why is it controversial? Uh, well, his name is Matt Whitaker. Uh, for about the last year, he had been serving as chief of staff to Jeff Sessions, uh, which means that he was a staffer within the Department of Justice, but uh, not an appointee who had gone through the Senate confirmation process. Uh, he was previously a U.S. attorney in Iowa, which is where he is from. Uh, but between then and now, uh, he has been a conservative activist, uh, CNN commentator, uh, and in that latter role had been very publicly critical of the Mueller investigation, uh, which in his new role he will now be supervising. Yeah, that's where the rubber meets the road to me. It's a similar thing that happened with uh, Bolton. Um, how how seriously do you take these people when they were commentators on cable news shows and and playing the role of you know arguing with people as as to the being their their real view of things? It's hard to tell, isn't it? Uh, well, I mean, he he is was put into his first job and now this job because he was perceived within conservative circles as sort of a true believer and a and a Trump loyalist. Uh, so I have no reason to doubt that he believes the thing that he said, uh, the things he was saying on CNN. Now, of course, 
in his new role, he will have access to much more information about the investigation. And I suppose it's possible that upon reviewing what they have gathered and not yet made public, his views will change. Uh, But surely every indication has been made that he was selected largely because, uh, unlike Jeff Sessions, he would not recuse himself and that he would uh, sort of put new constraints on this investigation that the president does not want to proceed. We've heard that because he hasn't been confirmed by the Senate at all, he can't serve as the attorney general even on an interim basis. Um, Is anybody pushing back on that theory? Is that in in play or is it like clearly one-sided? Yeah, I mean, there was a column that was written in the New York Times, uh, co-written by uh, Democrat Neil Katyal and a uh, Republican, George Conway, who was actually Kellyanne Conway's uh, husband, who made that argument. I have to say uh, that that argument is not uh, uh, universally accepted within the legal community. Lots of people believe that uh, the Vacancies Act does allow for a non-Senate confirmed person to hold the job for a period of time, but certainly not forever. Uh, uh, the, the people who hold that latter point of view uh, think that can be the case for up to 210 days. Uh, but that's about seven months, and you know, a lot can happen in seven months. This new attorney general dude, a lot stronger than Sessions, looks like. Uh, I've seen pictures of him lifting weights over his head and whatnot. Oh, you mean physically strong? Yes, yes he's, I think, he's very large. Uh, he's a, uh, much taller, much larger. He's a former football player for the University of Iowa. I think I think uh, you are right. He is a stronger man. So we're stronger as a nation, then. <laughs> we, don't understand why, we don't understand why you see this as controversial. Uh, <laughs> Rosalind Helderman is on the line from D.C., uh, from the Washington Post. So I don't think it's any great shock that a Trump loyalist would get the gig, especially in the wake of his annoyance. Who would you hire? I'd hire well, a lo- person who was loyal right, to me, too. Right. Uh, the concern is that he will somehow undermine the uh, the Mueller investigation, cut off the funding, which he discussed, I guess, on CNN at one point. Uh, but it, it, tell me if I'm wrong, Rosalind. Aren't both parties in America's press so focused on this? It would be extremely difficult to, quote unquote, get away with anything. Well, and there are some uh, uh, some things actually written into the regulations that govern the special counsel's office that provide some level of enforced transparency. According to the regulations, if uh, the special counsel comes to his supervisor, who will now be Matt Whitaker, and asks for uh, permission to pursue a particular investigative step, for instance, to indict someone, and the uh, attorney general, Whitaker, says no, if he overrules the wishes of the special counsel, he is required to notify Congress. He's uh, required to tell the uh, ranking, uh, uh, the chairman and the ranking members of the House and Senate Judiciary Committees that he did that. And one would assume that that would uh, start a process in which that action was made Oh public. my God, it'd start a process that would just be crazy. That's Pretty much. Right. So I do think that there's a good chance that uh, we will learn about it uh, should Whitaker make these kinds of moves. Um, but, uh, you know, the transparency does not necessarily result in action. There's lots of things that uh, Donald Trump has done uh, that uh, have caused great public consternation, um, but there's not necessarily a lever to uh, to stop it or cause change uh, if he does not believe the public pressure is sufficient that he wants to change uh, course. And the response to that, of course, is get out and vote as elections have consequences. So, uh, listen, uh, enough with serious questions about that topic. Just a couple of news junkies chatting. It's remarkable how leak-proof the Mueller investigation has been, isn't it? 
Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, uh, you know, people who have done reporting on uh, Robert Mueller going way back uh, ha- said that from the moment that he was picked that he runs a leak-free shop, that uh, he does not approve of it. He doesn't hire people who leak. He does not allow it amongst his staff. How does he do uh, that, though? I mean, everybody wants that. Barack Obama wanted it as desperately as Donald Trump could wanted be because it. there's nothing to leak. Well, could be. Uh, but if there's that, nothing to leak, I'd leak that. That's really exciting. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. Checkmate. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, uh, uh, institutional culture is a is a important uh, fact in any workplace, and uh, you know, you have to imagine that. Uh, he has put together a team who believes that uh, they are pursuing long-term missions and don't want to screw uh, that up. With- how do you feel about leaks? Because, um, I mean, obviously that's great for you. Somebody leaks to you a big story. You know, you're a rock star and you're on all the shows and you're talking about the leak. On the other hand, uh, don't we all kind of admire not leaking? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, in 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 our industry, we uh, we always happily talk to people who are willing to share information, particularly information that they believe is important uh, for the public to know about. Uh, but, but which is so in the eye of the reporter is the problem with the well, leaker. Well, and and the leaker and the um, reader of that that report, sure. Sure, uh, but but I understand the the you know the the notion that there is uh, uh, that there are some people who are not supposed to be leaking, and that there is something admirable about actually following the rules of your profession. Yeah, but I I think you know standing up for the libertarian point of view, it's a constant struggle to run a free society and a representative government between those two forces. I howl for transparency every single day. There are some re- leaks I think are, are wildly inappropriate, but you know we we wrestle with that and will every day this country exists. Well, and in this process, uh, I, I think that there is an understanding of uh, sort of um, keeping things quiet for the integrity of an ongoing investigation. Uh, I, I think the public at large and uh, will be uh, uh, very unhappy, and I think rightfully so, if there is not transparency someday. If they don't at some of course. point. Yeah. Uh, understand uh, what was investigated and what was found. Or you uh, or you announce a press conference right before a presidential election and say, I've got new information! <laughs> that would never happen. <laughs> Rosalind Helderman of the uh, Washington Post. Rosalind, we always appreciate it when you lend us a few minutes. Well done. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I gotta oh, I'm give... sorry. Final question. Do you deny that they're using compliance belts at the Mueller investigation? That they're forcing them to wear electronic compliance? She doesn't deny mm-hmm. it. I got to give the other side of this, though, because there's another side, and I saw Trey Gowdy talking about it the other day. So she presented it as, as all the media is. Mueller wants to go down a road, and he takes it to Whitaker, and Whitaker says no and hampers his ability to investigate. As Trey Gowdy pointed out, you don't want prosecutor special counsels who can do anything they want. You want them to have limits. Right. We all do. It's necessary. It's possible he could overreach and want to go down roads he shouldn't go down. Right. That could happen, too. Mm. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, we got wildfires raging away in California. One town destroyed, thousands evacuated. President Trump casting doubt on some tight Senate races in Arizona and Florida. And it turns out, turkey in a can's a major holiday hit. Turkey in a can. Canned turkey. No, thank you. Mm. I'm guessing it's moist. And a weird color. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. How to see World War One, which is the anniversary of the end of this Sunday, 
the same way those who fought it saw it with a new movie. Details on that coming up. News now with Marsha Phillips. Boy, smoky, smoky air reported all around California as fires continue blazing away. In Northern California, you got the campfire in Butte County raging out of control. 70,000 acres causing mass evacuations and destruction. The fire crews, though, have managed to contain that fire at the outskirts of Chico, at least for now. Cal Fire reporting the campfire pretty much destroyed the community of Paradise. Joe Chavez is the captain with Cal Fire. I don't know if the whole town has burned down. Um, I don't know how many structures have burned. It, they're in the, the numbers are definitely in the hundreds, if not the thousands. In Southern California, got firefighters battling two fires in Ventura County, and now areas of Malibu are under mandatory evacuations due to the Woolsey fire. Officials are urging people to leave immediately because the flames are moving rapidly toward the ocean. Well, I don't know about other people, but the combination of allergies and smoke and everything, I was feeling terrible yesterday, and the air was so smoky at our house that our smoke detectors were going off in our house. Man, amazing. We're a long way from the fires. That is... What's that doing to your lungs? Well, and I've got to believe that the fire presence there at the edge of Chico has got to be massive. Yeah. That's a hell of a lot of people, a hell of a lot of homes and businesses directly yep. threatened. And, you know, everybody praying for a non-repeat of the nightmare of the uh, the Napa area right. of the North Bay, etc. Right. Yeah. President Trump is casting some doubts on tight races, tight Senate races in Florida and Arizona. He was talking with reporters this morning about... Democrats picking up wins in some of the tight races. There's a lot of crooked stuff going on, but it is interesting. It always seems to go the way of the Democrats. Now in Arizona, all of a sudden, out of the wilderness, they find a lot of votes. And she's the other candidate is just winning by a hair. What's going on in Florida is a disgrace. Go down and see what happened over the last period of time, 10 years. Take a look at Broward County. Take a look at the total dishonesty of what happened with respect to Broward County. Broward County, just press, Broward County slash election. There's a lot of dishonesty. Can you help the people in Florida, Arizona? There you go. Well, Marco Rubio tweeted yesterday, and he's a Floridian, obviously. How can anyone have confidence that the Broward County election supervisor will be fair when last night she made clear her personal animus toward Governor Scott and toward the state's top law enforcement agency when she claimed he owns the Florida Department of Law Enforcement? Not very comforting to Florida voters that Broward County supervisor, in whose hands may... In whose hands may rest the outcome of a Senate and Cabinet race, has in the past, one, illegally destroyed ballots, two, secretly opened mail ballots, three, sent voters too many ballot pages, and four, left uh, questions off of ballots. Wow. She's that, been that found guilty from, of that in the past from Marco Rubio. That is uh, Marco from, thoroughly from, solidly from the moderate and reasonable branch of the Republican Party. Uh, he's not a bomb chucker. No, he's not a, tr- a firebrand at all. Or a Trump guy. No. No, that is extraordinary. Yeah. Attorneys for a California woman have filed a suit against Greyhound Lines. The suit, which could rise to class action status, is demanding the bus line stop letting federal immigration agents board buses and demand ID and proof of citizenship from passengers. The case stems from the California woman's allegations that last year, the Greyhound bus she was on had to pull over on the highway to let uh, Customs and Border Protection get on board and interrogate passengers. Her attorney, Darwin Robbins, whose firm is filing the suit, says Greyhound's policy of voluntarily opening its bus doors to law enforcement to intimidate customers 
based on the color of their skin is not just offensive, it is unlawful, and it needs to stop now. Well, if that's what they were doing, then that does sound awful, but it's not, and that's the most prejudicial and overwrought uh, description the guy could come up with as a professional, and I congratulate him on his word smithery, but... It's a bit uh, overheated. Back to Florida. Marco Rubio continuing to hammer Broward County as Uh he seems to believe the Dems are trying to steal the election. Uh, Early early voting in Broward County ended 108 hours ago. Every other county, including neighboring Miami-Dade, which had 100,000 more votes cast, was able to canvas, tabulate, and report to state by deadline. But Broward still hasn't finished and won't disclose how many ballots are left. He's pointing out the various counties that were devastated by a hurricane just a couple of weeks ago when they got their balance counted in on time. But Broward County, which leans heavily left, still for some reason finding votes and counting them. And Marco Rubio is quite suspect. On another matter, it looks like holiday-flavored potato chips are definitely a thing, and now they're gone. Thanksgiving flavored Pringles sold out in less than an hour. What's a Thanksgiving flavor? Pilgrim? Pringles three can taste pack. Pilgrim. Pringles three can pack of turkey in a can, stuffing in a can, and pumpkin pie in a can rolled out online uh. at a mid- uh, minute before midnight Tuesday night. Forty minutes later, they were gone. You put them together. You take one of each, put them together in your mouth, and you've no, got a turkey. Wait dinner. a minute! No, you don't. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. Considering it's impossible that anybody got word they were out in forty minutes, this is a publicity stunt that you have been duped or bribed into repeating, Marshall. I will taste Here's those. Here's crooked as Broward County. <laughs> if I come across those in a store, I will taste the pumpkin Pringles. That sounds well. It's not gusting. Uh, on the other hand, the, the turkey and the stuffing one, yeah. I could see that. Yeah, I don't have to long. cook this year. This is great. Yeah, yes. Anybody who has that for their Thanksgiving dinner has one sad life. Make sure you pair it with my Positive Sean's gravy ale that I'm releasing as well. <laughs> right. Do you ever, when you were a bachelor, Jack, do you ever have uh, Thanksgiving dinner, uh, the frozen Thanksgiving dinners that you'd buy for a buck ninety nine? I usually got invited to people's homes. Okay. It usually I, worked out. Like fine. Friendsgiving sort of stuff? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Girlfriends, that sort of thing. Yeah, I had a couple of sad things. Thanksgivings, where that's what I had. For uh, my first dinner. radio Thanksgiving, yeah. um, uh, I should have just said no. I was, I, was, I, was, I was on the air for the college radio station. Right. The college freaking radio station. Right. The, the teacher, who was very nice, her theory was, you need to learn what it's like in the real radio business. They don't shut down the radio station for Thanksgiving. No, you don't. But I'm a college kid. How about I find out when I get the real job? I'll be exploiting and humiliated soon enough. Why so, do I have to start now? So I stayed on campus for Thanksgiving, yeah. my first year in college. Oh. Nothing was open in the town. There was nothing to eat there at the, uh, the, co- at the college campus. I got up and did the radio shift, which had dozens at most people listening. Oh. Um, and I went to the convenience store, the gas station, and I think right. I got a candy bar and a soda oh. for Thanksgiving. That was my saddest Thanksgiving. Yikes. Uh. Yeah, but that was her theory. You need to learn what it's going to be like when you get a real job. What a stupid effing theory. That is, that is not a good theory. <laughs> my theory is your theory sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. I'm Marshall Phillips of the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. I think we're going to be traveling on Thanksgiving. We're flying. Because you can get flights and they're cheapish, yeah. I've flown on Thanksgiving Day many times. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We may hit the local uh, Indian casino. I think they may have a turkey buffet or something. Oh, yeah, my parents do that all the time. Indian casino, Thanksgiving buffet is great. Well, there you go. It's settled. Yeah, really, really good. I've I've eaten it with them. Top notch. Best Thanksgiving movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. That's a good one. Watch it every year. Bar none.
It's a good one. Uh, the Petering Out coming up features Peter Jackson. Maybe we'll have it all Peter-related. <laughs> coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. In the first five months of World War One, the French suffered suffered well over a million casualties, which is just an unimaginable number. And that was rifles and cannons and, and crude artillery, including three hundred and twenty nine thousand dead. I enjoy the jokes about why does Paris have so many trees so the Germans can march in the shade. Sure, I, I get a kick out of those, but. Cheese-eating surrender monkeys. But the French fought like crazy, and a lot of people died. Uh, World War II ended 100 years ago this Sunday. And And, and by the way, (sighs) just a a little more on that point, the the French resistance is one of the great uh, exemplars of courage uh, in the history of mankind. No doubt. But so Peter Jackson, who is one of the great directors of all time, right? Made the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movies. He's brilliant. He's bringing World War I to life using wartime footage colorized and converted to 3D, going to various museums' archives. Um, He said that I wanted to reach through the fog of time and pull these men into the modern world so they can regain their humanity once more, rather than being seen only as Charlie Chaplin-type figures in the vintage archive film. Right. Well said. And he wants to have people see see and hear the Great War as they experienced it. Sounds fantastic. It did debut broadcast this Sunday on the 100-year anniversary. Armistice Day, it used to be called. Uh, Veterans Day here in the United States is part of BBC Two's commemorative coverage. I don't know where you find it exactly, but I will seek it out. It sounds fantastic <laughs> and sickening. Yeah, probably. Yeah. There's, uh, there's a lot to be sickened by in WW1. Yeah, and I'm looking at the trailer right now. It's, it's mind-blowing. I just I think there's an advantage in people believing that Modern countries can go to war with each other over their economic interests. Yes. It can happen. Well, and I also think it is very, very useful for people to understand we have not evolved much at all since 1914. And stop thinking you have. We haven't evolved much since the year 5000 B.C., you know, certainly there's more known these days, but in terms of, of the impulses for control and power, the need for resources, the, the brutality of humankind, no, we're the same beast that we were. God, there's a great quote for, from Churchill, who fought in World War I, um, about that very thing. I'm not sure I can lay my hands on it right away, but how the, the idea that, that human nature has changed is just silly. Yeah, it is. It's, it's the same today as it was then. It was the same then as it was a thousand years before. We just watched the trailer for the movie. This has always blown my mind. When you see old black and white stuff colorized, it's amazing how more real it looks. Yep. yep. I, I felt immediately more connected to the person I was watching. You would think your imagination, the human brain, yeah. could say, this is in black and white, but this is real. The very little, and, and there, I guess there's no reason not to colorize everything at this point because it's gotten so good, but the very little uh, color footage there is of uh, Dolph Hitler 
in particular, since that's everybody's favorite political boogeyman, though, again, his capacity to kill people pales in comparison to the Soviets and the Chinese, the communist Chinese. Anyway, um, when you see him in color for some reason, you think, oh, human being, political leader, elected figure, not monster of old. Yeah, looking at this World War One footage when they colorize it, you can imagine being there, what it would be like to be 20 years old and be there. It'd be hellish is what it'd be. God yeah. dang it. Yeah. Human beings, what an interesting beast. It's my mm-hmm. least favorite species. I've made that clear. No other beast chooses sides and just slaughters each other. Yeah. Of their own kind, yeah. the way humans do. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, you masters of war. <clears throat> anyway. Couldn't mm. I have another Peter note? You know, I, I had I have a great story. I think it may have to wait oh, till Monday, but why the California Teachers Union is opposing uh, paying teachers more. Because it would lead to uh, teachers competing with each other to be better teachers, and they don't want that. Oh, wow. Well, that's a good story. They know why, they know why pygmies are so short. Because they're not tall? Um, yeah, it's the lack of height. I've <laughs> really zeroed in Finally, on that. Uh-huh. Breakthrough. It's uh, the advantage you have taking short little steps. Shorter people take smaller steps. Yes. Taking short steps going through the jungle. You can just get through the jungle much more, much more agile and easier to get through the jungle with short little steps than if you're a tall person. You so take big literally strides. in the tropics, it's useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the shorter people uh, just survive better and then reproduced, and there you go. Did they stage some sort of race between the lanky, the mid-sized, and the, the petite and then study their times or what? How'd they figure this out? Uh, how they figured it I out? I suppose staging a race would be the way to do it. Your average pygmy is five foot two. That's for the males. Sh- women are shorter than that. My my very petite but brilliant uh, daughter is saying, "Well, thank you for calling me a pygmy." <laughs> it's, what's this? Uh, is that a a race? You want to hear something awful? No, you probably no! don't. Not on a Friday. No, I'm glad not, to ask. Not on I'm a starting Friday. the music. Do you? Not on a Friday morning. No. I kind of wanted to. I'll tell you this off air. Do you want air. a paper cut? I'll tell you off air. It's a pretty amazing story. Wow, do you mind if I break wind? <laughs> the hell? Glad <laughs> the show's over. Want some rancid food? <laughs> Here's your host, Joe Getty. That's my favorite song. All right, let's be. Uh, let's uh, get a final thought from everybody to put a nice little wrap on the show. Michael, lead us off, would you? Okay, guys, uh, soon there will be charities asking for items for, vi- for fire victims. Please give generously, but be careful. There's a lot of scam artists during tragedies, unfortunately. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Those uh, You know the names of the legit ones. Be careful. Marsha Phillips, your final thought. Great news today from the CDC. Smoking's dropped to an all-time low in the U.S. And coincidentally, I've gotten another round of requests from people asking me how I managed to quit smoking. So I'm retelling the story. Go to Marshall's Musings at Armstrong and Getty Radio or armstrongandgetty.com. How long since you've smoked? Eight and a half years no, now. good for you. That's yep. armstrongandgetty.com. Yep. Positive Sean, final thought. Yeah, I, uh, unbeknownst to me, I switched to a type of tea that had way more caffeine in it than I'm used to. <laughs> I've not dropped down how much tea I've had, but I'm way over-caffeinated. My skin is crawling. I don't know how caffeine people do it. Mm, it's but, fun. Pathetic junkie. <laughs> Jack, do you have a final thought for us? Taking my oldest boy fishing today. First time he's ever been. He's very, very excited. What more What more of a rite of passion could yeah. there be? Pass, hmm? Huh? Rite huh? of passing... Could there be then uh, father son going fishing? Oh, I think huh? that's beautiful. It's like it's got to be ancient. The idea of this, you know, I'll make my final thought related to that. Uh, a good buddy of mine who is a master fly fisherman once told me as we were standing in a stream, 
Remember, Joe, it's called fishing, not catching. And there's a reason. Mm. Patience is uh, preeminent. I'm pretty good at baiting hooks. And uh, believe you'll be using lures today. Having risen to the level of, uh, well, highly qualified. Oh, oh. You put the worm on there? Well, you had a master fly fisherman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I once saw a guy. And I am a master baiter. I, uh, I, boy, the show didn't end soon enough. (laughs) I once saw a guy using a frog lure in a, uh, a pond. Yes. Every single time he casted it, he pulled out a bass. Really? Like 15 times in a row. It was like a video game. It was silly. Wow. Yeah. Let your kid know that if he catches his second fish, he has surpassed my lifetime total. I've been on many fishing trips. I've only caught one fish. Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen a lot. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. You can email us, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. If you see something over the weekend, we ought to be talking about it. We'll see you Monday. God bless America. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Matt Planning, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. Now the time has come to go. If this still cop was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. Armstrong and Getty, the voice of the West.